God is actually very involved and invested and interested in in being part of your everyday life in your everyday decisions. And it's not because you got to prove to him that you're worth it. It's because the Spirit is in you. So everywhere you go and everything you do, the Holy Spirit of God is going with you. You don't summon the Spirit. You don't You don't decide or ask God, will you be with me or not with me? God is with you. And that's why we're more than conquerors, because the Spirit of God is now living, has taken up residence in you. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to How to Study the Bible. I'm your host, Nicole Eunice. And whoo! I may have to stand up for this one today, Romans chapter 8, my favorite chapter in all of Scripture. Today, we're just going to celebrate the truth of God. We're going to celebrate the truth of the grace of God together because this chapter is just jam-packed with everything that I think that you need today. And why do I know that you need it? Because it's what I need. And why do I know that what I need is what you need? Because we're these human beings with souls that desire and have these needs for security and for belonging. And God is answering our need through the grace of Jesus Christ. And we get to see that play out um, so fully in this chapter. So let's get into it, shall we? Romans chapter 8. I've titled this one, No Condemnation, All Confidence. So we open up Romans chapter 8 and we kind of get a sense we're about to get in to something really important. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I like to start and stop there because I just want to talk about this word condemnation. I want you to think about when you hear the word condemned, what comes to mind? Not, not scripturally, just in your life. When have you heard the word condemned used? For me, when I think about what I think condemned looks like in our world, two things come to mind. The first one is a building, and the second one is a criminal. When I think about the idea of a a building being condemned, it means it is destroyed beyond repair. Not only that, but that it is so broke down, so wrong that it's actually dangerous and that the condemnation of the building is because this thing is so beyond repair that it has crossed over to being destructive to others. It has danger for others. It can impact um, your own safety, right? You think about a criminal being condemned. It's a final judgment. It is a sense of now justice has been served. We have seen who you really are, and we are condemning you for your action. It's permanent. It's the sense of being destroyed, that you can't actually come back from what that is. And then we read Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that says, Therefore, there is none of that in Christ Jesus. Every part of um, our lives that might feel like they are destroyed beyond repair or that we've made a mistake that we can never come back from or we have a past that we have to keep rehearsing and repeating and feeling regret for or we have a situation where we've been hurt so badly that we believe that somehow we're condemned. We Someone has condemned us through their action and there's no coming back from that. All of that is destroyed. You think about all of that and know that there is no condemnation in Christ. So moving on from there, I want to see how the whole rest of the chapter sets us up with the confidence to believe 
that these words are true, that there actually is no condemnation in Christ, and there's reasons why. So we're going to work through the chapter. I'm going to give you just an outline, just a few words, if you're following along and you want to take notes, and then we're going to circle back, okay? So Romans 8, 1 is the promise. Romans 8, 2 through 4 is the how, the how of the promise. Romans 8, 14 and 15 is the permanence of the promise. Romans 8, 26 and 27 is the confidence of the promise. And Romans 8, 31 through 39 just circles us back to how awesome the promises are again. (laughs) So we're going to look at those quickly. So I've got the promise, the how, the permanence, the confidence circling back again on how awesome those promises are. So what's the backstory is our second question, the Alive Method. And I want to do what's the backstory with Romans 8, verses 2 through 4. Hey guys, we're here because the Bible has changed so many lives. So just take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible or you weren't even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many around the world are facing, which is why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language, and that's where you come in. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my new book, Not What I Signed Up For. Simply text STUDY to 71326 to help today. That's S-T-U-D-Y or visit give.crew.org slash study. Again, that's give.cru.org slash study. Message and data rates may apply and available to U.S. addresses only. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening, who should call right now? Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So we've just read this big promise that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then we get a because. Okay, so two through four, we can circle or underline because. Okay, so this is the reason for it. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, okay, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us 
who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay, that's a lot, especially if you're not familiar with the backstory. This is why actually the Old Testament matters so much. When Paul is writing to the Romans and obviously to a Jewish audience, he is using the Old Testament, the law, what was laid out in the Old Testament to explain how Jesus is the perfect completion of what the law was always meant to do. So if you want to know more about this, obviously there's the Old Testament, also the book of Hebrews, which maybe we'll study together later. The the idea of the book of Hebrews kind of gives us this understanding of how Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He was our perfect prophet, priest, and king. He completes all of those Old Testament uh, roles are actually fulfilled and completed in the work of Jesus Christ. But we get a little nod to that right here when Paul is talking about, hey, Jesus actually became the sin offering, and if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that when an offering was brought to God, there were priests who attended the altar all the time. They were the ones who actually made atonement for sin. So when you came to atone for your sin, to confess and to make a sacrifice on behalf of your sin, you were supposed to bring an animal without defect. That was a big deal. It had to be a perfect animal. That was a shadow of what was to come. In the Passover, which is sort of the great high, um, the great high day in, in the Jewish faith, that lamb had to be brought without defect as a sacrifice that would allow death to pass over that household. Okay, so that's, that's a nod back to the story in Exodus. So when we hear this idea of a sin offering, what we know and what we're hearing is that Jesus was actually the only perfect sacrifice, the only one in the flesh who came as a man And in his life, he embodied sinlessness and perfect holiness, the only man who has ever done so. Jesus, who was fully man and fully God, lived a perfect life so that he could be a perfect sacrifice. And in my mind, it's almost like I see a Marvel movie when like the world explodes because the perfect thing happens. And it's like Jesus, as the perfect sacrifice, exploded the system because he actually was the complete fulfillment of what was needed in order to atone for sin, past, present, and future. In his perfection, he abolished the need for continual sacrifices that would be less than. The whole idea is like Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Anything that I would try to do to atone for my sin could never replace what Jesus did. It's like a, a, a terrible option, like a terrible, like not good sacrifice. <laughs> like there's a story in scripture, there's a parable and... um in the in the parable, you know, there's a man who owes his his king all this money, and he comes to the king and he thinks he can pay it off, but actually what he owes the king is like he would have to work his entire lifetime, like 160 years every single day of every year to even come close to paying off what he owed. And I think the reason that that is set up in scripture like that is to help us understand that what we would need to do to atone for a lifetime of sin could never be repaid. Like there wouldn't be enough atonement possible, probably not atonement, enough atonement possible for the thoughts that you've had this morning, the way that you've treated people today, the the judgment that we hold in our heart, the selfishness that we have, our sin nature that has us constantly looking out for ourselves to the detriment of others. 
We don't live holy lives. We already broke that down, right? In Romans chapter one, two, and three. So when we get here, what we want to understand is that Jesus did what abolished that system. He was the perfect fulfillment of that system. The whole Old Testament system was designed to point us to Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, who in being the perfect sacrifice means he gets to set the conditions and the conditions are he has done for us what we can never do for ourselves. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He is the one because of his perfect sacrifice who can declare that God declared him and he declared it finished. Therefore, to continue to live as if it is not finished is to live outside of what God desires for us. Now, is that a struggle? Absolutely. Does it take work to embrace and believe the grace of God, not just for the time when we were not in Christ, but for right now when you are in Christ? Uh, One of you in the Facebook group talked about how you feel like you struggle even more that you're a Christian. Well, What's happening is that holiness is becoming more evident in you. More and more light is coming into your heart. And as that happens, you see more and more of your own darkness and sin. It says in Scripture, we know in Romans, we're calloused to our sin before we are in Christ. But when we are in Christ, our eyes are opened. And the the things we used to desire, the ways we used to think aren't as appealing anymore. But we may find ourselves still falling into them. And so we have to return to Romans 8, 1 again and again. And when we find ourselves wanting to shame or condemn ourselves for our sin, we need to return to the promises of this chapter. Therefore, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And he has told us why and how in verses 2 through 4. Moving on, verses 14 and 15, we hear the permanence of what Jesus has done. It says in 14 and 15, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We have a permanent adoption. Our identity has been permanently replaced. We belong in a family. There maybe have been times in your life when you wish that you didn't belong in the family that you belong in, but you can't change your name. You can't change your bloodline. It's in your DNA. It's your family. And so when Paul uses this analogy to say, this is how permanent it is when you come into Christ, it is permanent. You have been adopted into sonship. You can't get out of it. You're in it. It's done. You are now a son or daughter of God. That is your new bloodline. That is your DNA. That is who you are. So that's the permanence. That's the permanence of our position in God, and that is worth celebrating. Moving on, Romans 8, 26 and 27. I love these verses because this is a place of confidence that because there is no condemnation in Christ, because we have been adopted and that's a permanent identity, we can have confidence about the way that we interact with God. I see so many Christians who, who are so tentative in the way they interact, like they're, they're continuing to be on trial somehow. Like this is a job interview and, and God at any point is going to be like, mm, sorry, actually you didn't make the cut. Like you're not living right. You're not doing it right. You're not doing Bible study right or prayer right or whatever. And a lot of us like don't realize that that is a very deceptive 
deceptive sort of way of still living in works righteousness. I'm going to prove myself to God. I'm going to do all these things right. And there might be a part of us that thinks, and if I do it all right, my life's going to be great. And yet we're, we're living in a completely different operating system when we get into Romans chapter eight. And in this operating system, it's, we don't even have to know how to pray that now the Spirit of God is within you, and because of that, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Do you hear the confidence of that? Like, sister, brother, when you don't know what to pray for, the Spirit is praying for you. When you don't know where you are headed, the Spirit is interceding for you. When you are experiencing, you know, sort of turbulence and, and hardship and despair and discouragement, the Spirit is interceding for you. You can't do it wrong. What we can do is rest in the Spirit and put ourselves into position where we can hear from God because God is 100% most certainly speaking to you. God is actually very involved and invested and interested in, in being part of your everyday life in your everyday decisions. And it's not because you got to prove to him that you're worth it. It's because the Spirit is in you. So everywhere you go and everything you do, the Holy Spirit of God is going with you. And everything that you experience, the Spirit of God is with you. You don't summon the Spirit. You don't, you don't decide or ask God, will you be with me or not with me? God is with you. God is within you. And that's why we're more than conquerors, because the Spirit of God is now living, has taken up residence in you. Now, I know that it doesn't always feel that way, but that does not change the fact that it's true. We have confidence because the Spirit of God is interceding on your behalf even now. And then Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. I mean, what can we say except to read it? <laughs> Truly, I'm like, this is one of those weeks where I'm like, let's just see what it says because it's so good. It doesn't require us to do lots of interpretation. We can just appreciate and embrace the words that God has given us. So what then shall we say in response to these things? This is verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friend, as we wrap our time today, I want to ask you, what words do you need to put into that passage? 
what threatens to make you feel separated from the love of God. Declare that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Your sin cannot separate you. Your hardship cannot separate you. Your discouragement cannot separate you. Your depression cannot separate you from the love of God. Your fear does not separate you. Your shame and your regret do not separate you. The way that you continue to be insecure and seek validation does not separate you from the love of Christ. His love abounds and surrounds, which means that wherever you are in your life, wherever you are in your salvation, Jesus has already done it. He has declared it done. You are a son of the Most High God. You are a daughter of the Most High God, and our only response to that is worship. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening to How to Study the Bible with Nicole Eunice, a production of LifeAudio.com and the Salem Web Network. This episode was produced by Kelly Gibbons and our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey, and edited by Stephen Sanders. If you enjoyed what you heard today, We'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help people find us. To learn more about Nicole, you can check out her website at NicoleEunice.com. Her book on how to study the Bible is called, Help, My Bible is Alive. And you can find a link to that, plus a link to Nicole's site, in today's show notes. Hey everybody, I'm Dale. And I'm Tara. We're hosts of the Kainos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. To learn more and subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.